meaning meaning presumes order meaning presumes structure but meaning is also enlivening in some way okay, okay? how does that work and this is the part i'm always been very interested in works through language it looks works through word hello and welcome to uh well i've been talking about rabbits rabbits create rabbit trails that go into holes and into Alice's Wonderland. That sounded weird, but you get my point. Sometimes on the interwebs, you just find ideas running around aimlessly. We try to talk about some of those ideas, but you know, a little heavily, 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 is that a word? And then make light, heavy things lightly, 2022 trying to get rid of some anxiety and realize, you know what? The spiritual world is weird. And that's what we do today. Father Hans Jacobsi, Jacobsi, friend of mine, friend to the show, but also a philosopher and an Orthodox priest. He joins us today. He's the head of the St. Paisio's Brotherhood. Tells you a little bit about that. You can find links to that in our crib notes. But most of all, we're going to talk about the nature of reality. What is it? How does it work? On water. Okay. So I'm here with Father Hans Jacob C. Did I say that right, Father? Say your yeah, last name. Yeah, the, the few people in the world that do, John. <laughs> we, we add the E on, right? Well, it's the E, and so they, they change the emphasis to Jacobsi, and they stumble over it first, but I'd never bother correcting it, because sooner or later they get it. Yeah. You, you're an Orthodox priest. Uh, you're a type of spiritual father to some of the folks that work with us. Uh, you've got St. Paisios in the Brotherhood. Why don't, why don't you just give us two seconds on kind of who you think you are? Maybe not who we all are before God, but who are you in your own mind? Uh, um, that could be dangerous, John. You know? <laughs> clarify the mind, but we clarify the mind by the mind finds its clarity by clarifying the heart. Right. So, um, um, I work with a lot of young men, and that started about I would say nine years ago when went through kind of a crisis of my own where I re-evaluated a lot, um, prayed a lot and asked the Lord, what do I do, Lord? I didn't know. I didn't even know if I should be a priest anymore. And basically, you know, the Lord gives insight. He gives insight. We put the insight into words. So you're going to hear how I heard it. Okay, in my words, but basically it was open your eyes, open your eyes, look around. And I did. And at the same time, a young man entered my life and tremendous potential and just got to know him, started working with him, catechized him, baptized him, learned a lot. And in the interim, more young men started entering my life. And I started learning a whole lot. And then about three years later, um, Touchstone Magazine 
heard about what I was doing. I, just because I had some friends there on the board and they asked me, would you come and speak? And I did. And it turns out um, that that talk was very well received at the time, but more importantly, it went on kind of a slow viral among young men. And I started getting calls from these guys all over the country. And that talk showed me that what I had discovered, which is not really what I had discovered, but what the Lord himself gave me. And I, I say St. Maximus, as out there as that sounds, right? Um, I realized really the power of it and how significant it was and what the need was out there. What's so, the need? What did the you need, find? Well, what I find, what I found is, is um, there's a lot of ways to talk about this, Sean. I don't want to default to the psychological. It's easy because in, in the West now, you know, we've lost spirituality. So we default to the psychological. Everything's an internal problem on all this and that. That's why I love the work that you're doing and the recovery of the old world, which is really the recovery of, of, of the spirit within the creation. I say the spirit of God within the creation. And um, what I discovered is that what we are providing men just is not sufficient for authentic manhood. And so I summed it up in this. I started working on it because then I got other speaking invitations and that type of thing. Men need men to learn how to become a man. But true manhood, authentic manhood, is found only in Christ because we become a complete human being or we're on the path to completion, to wholeness, to authenticity, to real meaning. Only when we are in communion with our creator. And what I love about our Orthodox faith is that our, our faith, you talk a lot about religion. I love that little talk about the lig, the ligament, you know, that which binds all together, right? In him, by him was a whole world created, and in him all things consist, the Apostle Paul says. Well, that, that the embracing of, of God, the embracing of meaning, the embracing of truth, the embracing of suffering, the, the fulfillment and flourishing of human relationships, that's where meaning is found. That's what meaning really is. And orthodoxy understands that, but orthodoxy also understands that to embrace meaning, to embrace the logos and see him in all of the creation is actually the positing of your own humanity. It's not a flight from humanity. It's the embracing of it. So it's not like we're, we're, we're floating away and embracing moralistic systems or paradigms or anything like that. What it is, it's a, it's a deeper entry, a real, a real existential experience of human contact with each other and with God that actually reveals to you who you really are. So, and, and that's done in the context 
or in the process of practicing something like a liturgical cycle? Or can you do that through words? Can you do that over a beer? What is, what all, is it? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> you can. You can. It, it, it's so my focus is, you know, I listen to Paggio when I can. I don't have many times to listen to Paggio. Jonathan Paggio. Mm-hmm. He's been on this show. Mm-hmm. I like your podcast a lot. I don't have time to listen to podcasts, though, except when I go to Sarasota to speak, meet with one of my spiritual sons, which we do at least once a month because he lives in Tampa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my time to catch up on the Walker podcast. So I listen to <laughs> three or four of them in the span of like six hours. <laughs> well, driving time. So that's, that's about three hours. So, very good. Okay, so you don't – thanks for not – Thanks for liking our podcast. Do you, do you, it matters. I've known you for a long time. So when I hear you saying kind things, I'm always like, he also knows other things about me. <laughs> we can talk about those things another time, but in liking the, there's something like um, an opportunity, right. With this sort of collapse of, or this, I think is an ongoing collapse of modernity there's an opportunity to talk about old world ideas, structure of reality, things, the things that interest you in the brotherhood. Do you see it as a time to talk about this? It, and I don't mean to pick people off and like convert them. We don't really talk like that, but is meaning becoming possible in the way we understand it as Orthodox because of something that's collapsing in your mind? Is it that time? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, my analogy, I like history a lot. I like it a lot. And I generally frame um, how I see things in historical terms rather than purely philosophical terms. When I was in college, there was always an argument be- between the philosophers and, and, and the historians, right? Because we tend to place ideas in certain time frames. And that's how we see kind of the, uh, the march of history. Let's, let's put it that way not the myth of progress, not the march of progress, the march of history, okay? And the philosophers always see kind of the ideas located outside of time and influencing in a sense, right? Um, I don't know why I brought that up, but yes, um, I think, I know why I brought it up. People say we live in a post-Christian age. I think we live in a post-Enlightenment age. I think the Enlightenment project is crashing down around us. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's um, so, so what do we do? Well, my practical focus is, is healing. I'm, I, I just love healing. I love understanding it. I love being able to heal. I don't heal. God heals and the saints heal. I want to make that absolutely clear. But, but, but I do have the audacity to invoke the saints with great boldness whenever they're needed. And I've seen some really remarkable things in my ministry, especially the last 10 years, not so much before that, but the last 10 years. What have you seen? Can you share without sharing personal stuff? Well, it started when, um, I, this is on our church website, so, but it started when a, a young man in my church was in a car accident and was really miraculously healed from a traumatic brain injury by St. Paisios. And there was a connection made there because he had a friend on Facebook who was actually the spiritual son of St. 
Paisios, and I mean from his infancy up. Hmm. He lived in the village in uh, Saluti in, in, in Greece at the monastery, next to the monastery, and his mother always brought him to church. He knew this young man who had the accident, and through his sister we made connection, and he told me um, that St. Paisios has healed a lot of young men in Greece with the same kind of injuries, motorcycle injuries, car crashes, that kind of thing. So I said, well, tell me what to do. And I did it. And it happened. Hmm. And the whole, the whole unseen world opened up. I've seen a few miracles before, but the whole unseen world and the immediate reality of it opened up to me by walking through that miracle. Miracles often don't happen instantaneously. They take time especially when they're physical healings, because, because the healing of the body is a process. It takes time, right? So I, I saw a lot, and I, I thought a lot, and, and received a lot of insight. One of them is that this notion that, that healing breaks the laws of nature, it's not true. It's simply not true. What healing is, 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 is seeing what creation was like closer to Eden and what it will be in the kingdom of God, which is filled more with grace. Okay. Now what is grace? Well, grace is the power of God, but obviously this grace itself has a structure, doesn't it? It knows how to heal. It knows how to give the body the, the, the energy to heal. I can't take this much farther than that because I can't claim to have any special insight into it. But I do understand what I see. And, 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 and you know, if that's true, then the unseen world, the world of meaning, the world of grace, whatever you want to call it, right, um, has structure and it has order. In that sense, a miracle is just something that's already happening in reality, but we don't see it until it breaks through or something. And yes, yes, yes. That that when we say it breaks the laws of reality, I question if those laws even laws of nature. Right. I'm not even sure laws exist. Those laws of nature. I think sometimes we apply Copernicus to the moral and spiritual life as if there's a metaphysical body out there somehow that connects. Wow. It, okay. It's not like that at all. You know, that, that, that the, the, the world that we don't see is inter, intertwined and works through the world that we do see. Uh, you sent me something that I found very interesting that Matthew Peugeot wrote yeah. about, about, you know, the materialist view, the modern view, let's say it's matter and energy. But the biblical com cosmology is matter and meaning. And, and matter exists in order to make meaning manifest. Okay? And what we, what we realize is in that meaning itself has structure, purpose, order. Right? And that's, I, I discerned that, you know, initially by watching this initial mir miracle. Now I know that. I see. Yeah, I that's, I actually that's want intense. Yeah, I bought the book and I'm reading it. You are. You are now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I'm, I have to find a vocabulary to express this. 
I think the Pajot brothers are onto something, but I think that all obviously goes back to Neoplatonists, St. Maximus, and all the way back to Christ. So how about this? Go back to matter and meaning as the true dichotomy rather than material and energy or matter and energy. I think that's the enlightenment move, right? Is to make everything about energy and, and matter. And the old world, or at least the old Orthodox world, is saying something like, no, all things are meaning and matter. So what is meaning then? Can we, is it possible to, to talk about? Because I feel a Gnostic inclination in this conversation to say, well, matter's like not important until it's filled with this, the ideas or something. Matter is, you can burn up the body. It's not important. But that's not what we're saying, right? Matter and meaning. They have to go together on some level. So what is meaning to, say, Joe Blows watching the Mets today? What is meaning? How do we know it? Well, um, this is a conversation, right? And I don't claim any privileged knowledge. I am trying to make sense of my experience. Me too. Why we go? Absolutely. So, so <clears throat> meaning, meaning presumes order. Meaning presumes structure, but meaning is also enlivening in some way. Okay. okay. How does that work? And this is the part I've always been very interested in. Works through language. It looks, works through word. All right? And so this is how I describe it, and I'm not claiming any special knowledge or making even a claim, but this is how I think about it. All right? The primordial word, the word first spoken, that was how creation comes into existence. Mm -hmm. I contend that the resonance of that word is still alive because, because it comes symbolically, not metaphorically, symbolically from the mouth of God. Now, does God have a real, a real mouth? No, God's a spirit. Okay. But because it was created by God, everything that created exists to manifest this God to us, who seeks, seeks to save us, who seeks to know us, okay? So everything in creation can be a symbol, not just a metaphor. A metaphor is something like and like, okay? It's, it's, we, mm -hmm. we draw a metaphor to understand something about something else, but those two are not really united. A symbol, symbolos, is a place where two realities come together, right? Now, what brings the uncreated and the created together? The symbol, okay? Um, what is the energy that, that, that brings this into, into, not into being, but into our sight? Mm -hmm. right. Manifest, incarnate. So yeah, language, language. Logos. Yeah, well, the word, okay, so right. first spoken brings creation into existence. The word spoken after the existence of creation in our historical circumstance, which is post-fall, is spoken in order to redeem it and bring it back to, guide it back to what it was in Eden, which wow. will be the case, but it's lived here. Now, here's the cool thing. Healing is my deal. <laughs> I'm real interested in it. 
the word of prayer, the word of prayer can actually bring redemption to the materiality of the creation. So in other words, it doesn't recreate, it redeems, it brings it back to its pre-traumatic state, still fallen, because the death will be the last enemy that is destroyed, but healed at the same time. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I can give you examples. Well, let me try this on you as we open our restaurant, the Georgian, really it's an Orthodox concept. Uh, there's a Georgian sort of toast that says this, tell me if this is reflective of your idea, uh, that the things from the bottom matter. They matter because they have physicality and those things are of the earth. And, and one way to think of it, there's the things we can, that we wallow in, we're a part of. So for instance, cheese is in a goat's, it was a, you know, it's inside of a goat. And then the goat is on the ground. The wheat comes from the ground. We eat it in the bread. Da, da, da. And so when we bring it up and put it on the table, it has all the potentiality, but it has none of the logos. And so the prayer in Georgia or the prayer said by anybody really is a type of bringing down the invisible into the matter, which unites heaven and earth. And that's the reality. The reality then has a potent, the potential has become real and it's been put back together properly so that you might eat it, which then becomes a type of Christic sacrifice. That thing which was alive on the bottom has now been brought up and put into your body so that you might live. And so there's all this. Uh, that's what I thought of when you were speaking, which is that prayer said over the food is a type of symbolos, a type of uniting all the proper things in the food rather than simply eating it like a dog just because it gives you fuel or something. Is that, is that a relevant example or would you? It's very relevant on, in, a, in a number of ways. We can go off in a lot of directions, but this is what it means to be a steward of creation. Mm. Okay. Because what really opened my eyes to this too was reading Bulgakov and his book, Household Economics which is about economics, but it's really about ontology. Mm. And, and, you know, your Georgian toast, I think, natively, natively understands this point I'm going to make, which I discovered in Volkov, which is that as man is posited fully in the logos, his communion with the logos, nature is posited in communion with the man. Mm. Because your toast is indicating a fundamental relationship between nature and man. Okay. The goat, the cheese, the food, right? And what is, what is fundamentally actualizing that, meaning bringing it into our awareness of the true nature of reality of that piece of cheese? All right. What's the word, right? It's the toast made. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's why it matters that you pause and produce the word. Now, here's a question I know a lot of people would ask, and let's ask you, an Orthodox priest, is it certain words? Could it be Hindu words? Now, and, and again, this isn't a black and white answer, but 
I don't imagine, but what would you just initially think about that? Does it, does it matter? It feels like it matters. I, I think it depends on, on the context in which you speak. Okay. So if I'm reading the healing prayers for somebody, I pull the prayers out of the prayer book, which are the prayers of the fathers. Now, why do I do that? Because they're time tested. They're time tested. The very fact that my fathers in the faith have put this book into my lap. And I don't mean the fathers living now, but I mean centuries and centuries and centuries back. Right, right. Ancestors. That's the evidence. That's the evidence to me that these prayers are efficacious, that these are the words to be used. Okay. But whenever I pray those prayers but i always say a prayer of my own at the same time at the end that's also very old world of you father in the sense that say for the bambara in in west africa history is its own proof so the fact that you know about say sanjiata who was the a type of king that everyone knows the fact that you know about sanjiata is evidence that Sanjiata is of import because he sort of made it through the gauntlet of retelling. In other words, there's something mystical and proper and true about the process of history itself. So that to choose the fathers in and of itself is demonstrating a type of evidence that they have import in reality, not just in your own mind. They made it. <laughs> That's a very old world understanding of history. I don't, we could take that rabbit trail, but I, it, you made me think of West African storytellers, the griots. And if you ask them, did it happen? What they said, did Sanjiata really blow a hole in that mountain with his spear? They would just be like, I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. It's Sanjiata, <laughs> you know? And I think by, calling the fathers in, we say something like it's the fathers. Like we don't have to doubt that through the process yeah. of history. It's given paradosis, tradition, paradosis, that which is given. The ah, gift thank you. Okay. And I, you know, I'm so grateful for it because it's there. Just receive it and speak it. But you have to speak it. Speak it, and sometimes you have to speak it more than once. And, and so, in the in St. Pius Brotherhood, which by the way is you should talk about that a little bit where you're doing healing and trying to find young men or old men or whoever. By the way, we should bring that up about women as well, how they fit. But so, something about this type of conversation is, is happening when you're in conversation with these young men is that the healing process? Well, yeah, I mean, um, um, young men in our day and age are real troubled about certain things. And it's because of the culture, because no one is speaking the truth about certain aspects of manhood. Mm. And, um, And we can go into that detail here, but if you go on the website, you'll see what I talk about. I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail necessarily here, but they need healing. Okay. And, and, and this, this, this healing can only come from other men and it has to come in conversation and in communion with other men. So in other words, I think one of the, the, the great lies of the culture is that you find your own manhood in yourself and you bring it out. 
No, you find your own manhood in communion with other men. Mm. And a lot of men don't have that. And, and so um, out of that, you know, I started brotherhood in my church and well, this is how it grew. Your, your listeners might be interested in this. I mean, I was kind of just doing this alone and didn't have any ideas of this, but I began to see by the response I was getting that this problem was much greater. Hmm. And I was, I was defining a very, very important need that had to be met. And then um, I'm going to make my cross as I say this. Okay. And that touchstone conference was a real eye opener for me. But then I went to Greece and I actually met Dimitri, the man who told me about St. Paisios and, and told me what prayers to pray and this and that. And uh, it was the first time we met, even though we had been talking over WhatsApp now for years. Okay. And we went to a monastery together. And, and um, the Yerenda, I didn't know he was the Yerenda. Does this really happen? Oh, I've never oh okay. <laughs> I didn't know he was the Yerenda of the monastery. He just saw me and came up to me. Right? And he said it real fast in Greek. I only caught half of it. So Dimitri filled in the rest for me because he just whacked it out. He goes, he goes, you will bring many young men to in America to the Orthodox faith, and St. Paisios and the Theotokos are going before you. Whoa, what do I do with that? But again, it was confirmation that, that these things I had discovered about bringing healing to young men, it deals a lot with, as you know, with pornography and, and all its attendant behaviors, mm-hmm. which advice that has grips the life of a lot of young men. And, and my approach to it is much different than, than, you know, the conventional cultural wisdom. Mm-hmm. I see it as, as a subverting of, of creative desire in the male, subverting of man's creative prowess into sexual energy. Sexual energy itself is creative. I see this as, as, as a blessing from God, right? I don't, in other words, I'm not a Puritan moralist. Okay. Okay. And yeah. What needs to happen is that that creative man's natural creative prowess, his power, his energy, his desire to create. It's very deep in a man, in a male. Okay. It's deep in women too, but their manner of creation is different. We'll talk about that some other time. Okay. But that gets or maybe channeled. in a second, but go ahead. Keep going. I like this. But that gets channeled into sexual desire and thus in enslavement to pornography, self-abuse, this and that. This is the way young boys are raised by culture. If the culture raises your boys, okay, hmm. and and so it's it, it's in the grip of a deep vice that they can't break. They can't break. And the conventional wisdom says says that you got to watch your triggers. You know, it's yeah. it's the prescriptions that you put around your behavior so you don't do that. But you're never really healed of the vice, of the affliction. All right. And so Right. My- you're doing you're doing a three hundred you know, since the Reformation, you're 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 doing a move to remove it so that it may not be touched. Right. Yeah. You're being you're right. You're 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 applying a moral sort of system to keep the bad stuff away from the good. 
And you're saying it doesn't produce healing. Yes. If you're, you're, you're taking a moral, a moralistic structure and you're, you're kind of superimposing it on your behavior, but what's inside never gets transformed. You're never really released from. And what's inside is it, is a type of proper male energy, which includes a sexual energy, but that needs to be channeled in a different and more in a, in a, a different creative way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, 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 it, I mean, this sounds presumptuous, but it really happened. Right. I think St. Maximus, the confessor gave me enlightenment. Well, as I'm working with these guys and that's this, the, the foundation of all desire, even inordinate and unlawful desire is the desire for God. So what we've got here is we've got a mix-up of desires. Right. we got to clarify that. And at that point, at that point, orthodox ascetical practice comes into play because if you, if you have a desire to sin, but you, usually if you have a desire to sin, in a vice, what happens is you have the impulse and you have the action and they're one. Impulse, action, impulse, action. Okay, but but orthodoxy teaches you how to separate that. Okay, and you can actually separate the impulse from the action, and you do that by practicing orthodox ascetical self-discipline. What happens is this: a space opens up between the impulse and the action, and we see into that space, and that's we see what needs to be healed in the person's life. It's usually some kind of a trauma, you know, some kind of experience, Mm -hmm. some kind of deficit, some kind of lack, whatever it is. Right. And we can heal that. We can heal that. And as the healing begins, what happens is his natural desire to create his natural creative prowess. It's a desire. It's a desire, right? Gets, gets directed in a new way. Mm. It gets directed forward instead of sidetracked into pornography, self-abuse, this and that. And this is where it's beautiful to see. It's like a new creation. I see it with my own eyes. I love this. What happens is he starts working with his hands. He starts creating And the desire is gratified through the work rather than the false promise of illicit sexual gratification. Okay. Mm -hmm. At that point, at that point, the noose awakens, the noose awakens and that which exists as a prohibition. The noose is noetic, the noetic ability in a human being to see and commune with God. Right. The eye of the heart, the eye of the heart, and that which is perceived as a moral prohibition is understood as actually an indication of the structure of his own soul. And then, when that happens, he's off to the races. He's off to the races. The vice starts breaking. Well, it's not even. It's so. It's so interesting. It's not a vice even at that point. It's a part of how he was properly ordered or but misunderstood. And so in that sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've had the yeah. I've yeah. had I've had uh, uh my spiritual father counsel me that 
there's really no darkness. There's only a lack of light. And so when you properly flood the darkness with light, you start to realize that you weren't of the darkness ever. Yes. It was, it, you were just unaware of telos, of purpose. And then suddenly the purpose becomes clear. That's so fascinating. So in that sense, hmm. Meaning. He begins to see. Yeah, go back to the meaning. Exactly. Yeah. See, he begins to see. This is what I tell him when I, when, when I first, I said, no one desires your healing more than God. First of all, they're really surprised when they say, you need healing, man. You need healing. Instead of this moral judgment, you're a sinner, man, and this is just, you're a dog. Basically, that's what they hear. Okay. But that's where that moralistic, puritanical imposition, that's what it teaches the man. Right. It's, 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 it's a residue from, it's a cultural residue from Calvinism mm -hmm. is really what it is, who codified, you know, Christianity into a system and desacramentalized all of creation, including the human person. It had great cultural import, right? Yeah. And it's the rationalization of religion because of the Enlightenment. We're not in a post-Christian age. We are in a post-Enlightenment age. The reason that we see these 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 Christianities dying is because they were rationalized. Yeah. That's why they need to die. <laughs> wow. Anyway, anyway, see, and anyway, so so the 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 human soul, just like the body, the human soul has structure. It has structure. And so by the 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 follow me here by the application of the discipline, it enables light to come in and the light reveals to the man who he really is. And this is what I tell every guy. I said, as I said, they're surprised to hear me call it healing, but I say, no one healed. No one desires your healing more than God. Mm. They go, really? I go, yeah. And, and I said, the most exhilarating journey a man can undergo is the journey of self-discovery, is movement into the light, because the movement into the light is a self-revelation of being, of who I am. Now live it. And they what, what would you say to a modernist, even in the Christian tradition, Protestant, who's saying... But where's some evidence of this? How, how do you how do you how do you deal with the question of evidence when you're doing this type of work? I say the evidence the evidence lies within you. It lies within you. If if there's any measure of self self authenticity, you will see in yourself that that desire is not gratified. The suffering that comes. Through you know, sexuality, I deal with a lot. Okay. But there's a reason why it's these these problems manifest themselves sexually, because sexually is a sexuality is fundamentally a unit of energy. Okay. It brings together body, mind, and soul. It's just that if it brings it together in an illicit con context, it can't aid to the deepening and the healing of the human person. Of the man. What's okay. what? Wow, that. Yeah, sex is 
a unity, body, mind, and soul. But what makes it, why does the illicit part of it, and I guess you're talking about outside of marriage or in a pornographic situation, or why does that render the unity uh, impotent, the illicitness? Because the structure, the structure of the soul and the structure of the body are meant to, 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 to be harmonious. I mean, the, the residue of the fall here, the effects of the fall, is actually a fragmenting and a fracturing. Redemption is the bringing back of that, bringing it back together into a wholeness. And so marriage and- is the whole, is, is, the, is, the, is the symbol of wholeness. And so if sex takes place within that symbol, within that context, it's taking place as it's meant to, which it not which doesn't make you bad or good. It just means you're in alignment with the proper fulfillment or the proper the, the proper, proper reality. The proper structure of reality. Right. That's what it is, of which fulfillment is a part. Well, what do you say to someone who says, Yeah, it's just rationalization for your rules so that you can create order and and tell young people to stop having sex. You're just, you're just afraid well, of sex. I, I, I don't engage those kind of arguments anymore or those kind of discussions anymore. Okay. Because they're, they're it, you know, these, these to hear this and to be, if it resonates in your soul, what I'm saying, then I know you're listening and you have some sense that you're a human being. Hmm. You have some sense that their order exists and and I've got to find the purpose and and meaning that that sense of ordering implies. So in some ways, I tell me if you think this is true. In some ways, the words you're speaking and the 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 the, the mode you're using for healing, it's not possible. Maybe fifty years ago because there was still some sort of meaning wrapper on culture, maybe, or maybe there was a lack of meaning already, maybe go back 300 years, but there's something about the wrapper of meaning is coming loose. It feels, it feels like something has been taken away from that, which was that no longer allows say the Protestant ethos to, to deliver meaning. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, but I think the wrapper was around our own hearts and our own minds. Okay. I see. We just didn't see it. We didn't see it. It's it's the collapse of kind of the, uh, you know, the whole myth of progress and... and, and, and Which you call enlightenment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and all that, which blinded us to this deeper dimension of reality. We're just blind to it. And, to, and I, is that what enchantment is to you then the, the medieval world or the pre-industrial, the, the old world enchantment is spiritual awareness. Yes. Yes. When people use that word enchantment. Yes. That's I, I agree with that. Um, so do, does that put you closer to say, I'm just making up a character here, a surfer who really finds a lot of joy and, the spirit of the ocean and his, I don't know, the charms of his, of his um, crystals. Like that guy actually does it. I kind of get what's happening with that guy. Now we're doing a heavy thing lightly right now. 
I find myself moving closer to that character than maybe the Ayn Rand business person who's decided to fix, you know, downtown Boston that it, 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 with his rational plans for perfection. What do you, what do you think? Or, or is that a dumb question? Well, no, I, I think how I approach it, you got to really be careful of, of judging cultural types. Yeah. It's so much fun to talk about on a podcast. Though. <laughs> but I think you gotta, you have to be really careful. It's true. Uh, I probably, you know, uh, me and you sometimes, we, you know, we, we think a little different sometimes, especially yeah. about the value of culture, right? I'm probably closer to the rational type than I am the surfer dude. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, um, you know, in terms of what I see as kind of cultural values, um, not Ayn Rand, but um, I'll, I, in, a, in some ways, I like progress. I like progress. Yeah, we've uh, if we've had our arguments, it's about the nature of what that looks like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, not the myth of progress and not the materialist basis to it, but I, I like seeing complexity emerge. I like it. But that's a personal predilection, right? I think, speaking broadly, um, that we've got to really be careful about cultural types and them embodying a particular meaning. As you were talking about the surfer dude, I probably would have a a harder time talking to the surfer dude than the businessman Mm -hmm. myself. But um, what is the common denominator between both? Okay, if both are aware of their suffering, their internal suffering, and that suffering is compelling them towards the the search towards meaning, I think we can have we can have a conversation. If not, if the surfer dude is you know in his Peter Pan world, and the businessman in his you know getting more stuff is better world, whatever it is, those are caricatures. I know mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing to say. There's nothing to talk about. But if they're if 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 they're suffering, there will be, if there's an authentic search, there will be a measure of suffering. Because the suffering is a suffering over the fall, over the disorder, not in an abstract way, but in a profoundly personal, existential way, where you become aware of the effects of the different defragmentation in your own body in your soul, in your relationships, right? Then, then we are on the right road. It's picking up the cross. Okay, let's use a symbol, right? Picking up the cross. Because at the center, at the center of reality, you go down deep enough, right? And you come out and and you begin to see the spiritual world. You'll see that the point of the intersection is always a cross. And so... This is something we talk about on our website. Creation, right? Creation is the result of sacrifice, or all all creation begins with sacrifice. Yeah, I know. I love that. I love that. I see it on the website. And so, sacrifice. That's you would call that something like spiritually accurate in terms of reality. That's the way the world is laid out. Laid out through joy, through the cross. Joy comes into the world as it says in Holy Scripture. There's no way that one can move into meaning without 
embracing the cross, without enduring some kind of suffering. It's the suffering that enables us to actually, it's the suffering, suffering can be a mercy. I'm not glorifying suffering. We have to ease suffering in the world wherever we see it. But suffering can be a mercy because sometimes it's the suffering that lifts up our eyes to higher things. There has to be more. Interestingly, you know, it's a prediction of mine that we're going to see a lot of young men come into the Orthodox Church because they intuit this. They intuit what we're describing. All right. And they know it's not in the rationalistic, you know, this is how you make everything's laid out for you. Um, But most of them come in out of the pain in their souls. Like my catechism has has completely changed, you know, no more orthodoxy in 10 easy steps. A lot of guys have no, no religious background at all, although they have profound spiritual experiences. Um, Polemics, there's no need for polemics. They don't question whether God is real. They want to find him. So a spiritual experience in it, it seems that everyone is having spiritual experience. The, the, anybody, anybody, no matter what you call yourself or say, it, how would you characterize a spiritual experience? You mean, how, how would I define it? Yeah, or? like, well, you know Uncle well, Seth. He comes on the show, and he just can't stand when someone says something like, I'm in a relationship with God, or he really dislikes some of the, Protestant tropes, but anyway, or any trope with religion. And he'll say, you can't say you had a spiritual experience because you saw a baby smile. Right. He wants much more. And I wonder if we can help him. What, what is a spiritual experience? Is it, I don't know if you're, if you want to go down that road, but. I don't know. See, I don't think we can come up with a definition for it, John, because see this, this is, this is meaning, right? And so, so the only thing we can do is get into descriptions. What we're really talking about, what we're really talking about is the, the content of the experience, which is profoundly personal and differs from, from person to person, right? Mm. So when we talk about spiritual experience, I mean, I, you know, if, 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 if I'm listening to something and to someone and I could see that that something happened that profoundly moved them, changed them, rocked their foundation in a way. That's a spiritual experience. Yeah. I also think it comes, I think every layer of existence is almost like built in threes, material, spiritual, noetic. I mean, material, intellectual, noetic, if you want to say spiritual. It does feel like on any given moment you're really participating in all three if you're fully aware of your of your being. And I like I like using noetic instead of spiritual. I really have problems with the word spiritual, but I haven't found a good way. You know, the problem with the problem with religion in the West is we use religious the religious vocabulary promiscuously. Constantly we Consequently, we don't we don't have 
specificity to our language. It's very hard to talk about these things mm. with any clarity. Yeah. I like noetic. I like I like intellectual noetic and the third one you said. Yeah. <laughs> Material, intellectual, noetic. Well, that's part of the concepts of the East that changed me when I was really investigating my next spiritual, my religious move. I went to Africa and started to get deeply immersed in Malian Muslim culture for black African Muslim culture uh, and was overwhelmed and moved by their obedience to something like the call, the call to prayer, the call to mosque, the call to honor husband, the call to honor wife. Everything was an obedience. Now, it wasn't fulfilling for me to imagine myself a Muslim, but when I came home, I was looking for something like that. And then I, I found the Orthodox faith as a type of obedience. But then what opened up to me was way different than an obedience. It was like these three layers I was talking about. I was obeying and intellectually understanding, but there was also this noetic piece that really changed the way I thought about my faith, which is that I need to unify my intellectual thoughts about, I should do that. It's good. And then my passions, the bottom part of me, and I needed to unify them in the heart. And then it was understood to me through the writings of the saints and everyone else. The heart is not what you think it is. It's not a place of feelings. It's actually the tool by which to see into the, into eternity, into, into the realm of truth. And that, freaked me out father you know um i mean i can relate to that it took me three years to become orthodox right mm. and it just did some of them were personal reasons but but some of it too was that i had to let go of because i saw the problem was rationalism right mm. i had i had to i had to be humbled i had to let go of the notion that somehow it needed to be proved to me Right. And, and, you know, that I'm going to be the judge of orthodoxy. It took me three years. Right. But God's merciful. And I, I realized, oh, my problem is the rationalism. That's my problem. Right. And, and then I, 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 and I have to say, well, maybe I've just got to learn to listen instead of analyzing everything. Mm. That's number one. Number two. This was profound. It's very simple. It was profound. So I went to Greece and, and I was, I went to a, to a monastery with a deacon, right? I was a priest at the time too. I mean, I got ordained this and that. And then I went to, to priest after my two year apprenticeship mm -hmm. and went into a monastery and they brought up the reliquary. Now that's the first time I ever experienced that. And I didn't know what to do. So I told the, I whispered to the deacon, I don't know what to do. You go first. So and I'll copy you. He said, okay. Right. And it was 40 holy martyrs relic. And you know, and at that time I had already accepted. Yeah. I can understand where how relics work and this and that. Right. I make my cross. I bow before the reliquary. The monk is holding it. And as I approach the relics to venerate them, I experienced palpable holiness. I knew it as a concept, but I never experienced it until then. At that point, the faith, the faith started moving from year to year. Ah, there it is. That's a spiritual experience. 
just tell folks on the podcast the relic. Do you remember? Was it a bone? Was it a piece of hair? What do you remember? What the relic was? In this case, it was bones, but a relic can be anything. It could be the, the bones of the saint. It could be even a vestment they wore, a garment yeah. they wore. But the holiness, the holiness of the saint, in other words, his path of sanctity and very often suffering, but the healing he experiences within, which is, is what the Apostle Paul says, Christ being born in you, actually transforms the man, okay, mm-hmm. makes him more of a man. And because he's in communion with his brother, Jesus Christ, because Christ is our brother, the Apostle Paul says, right? I will be your brother who brings us to the Father and into the places where God dwells. Not out of this world, but deeper into it. And it affects his body, the holiness, the, the, the holiness, sanctity. Wow. Sanctus agios, right? And, 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 and it transforms as well. It, it penetrates the world around him as well, including his physical body, including his clothes. And that holiness stays with the materiality. And is it. that also how the healing happens as people are breathing even before their physical death? The healing also is penetrating the cells in a sense and well, regenerating not just the thought of you, in your own mind, but actually regenerating well, your, um, your physicality. It, it, it's, if, if, if I'm healing someone, say, who, who has trouble with compulsion, compulsion is rooted in trauma. Okay? It's the body that remembers the, the trauma, the pain of the trauma. The mind rem- remembers the chronology, the event of the trauma, but the body remembers the pain of the trauma. So if, if I'm working with someone who has a sexual compulsion, I know this sounds a little wild, but I'm telling you, I see it happen all the time, right? And, and, and I pray for it. I actually pray into the cell. I ask St. John Maximovich to do it. I don't heal. They heal. But like I say, I, I, I speak the words, Okay. I speak the words and, and I'll pray for the healing of the cell and the cell is actually restored, can be restored to its pre-traumatic state. So in other words, it's palpable, concrete redemption. Yeah. Redemption of, of man. This is why the body is so important is the redemption of the entire material creation as man heals and lives more in a savior, the creation will follow. You know, the creation groans in travail, is the apostle Paul, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. The more we become his son, the more we experience this healing, but this healing spills out into the rest of the creation because we are the stewards of the creation. We're connected. We're connected. St. Maximus the Confessor, Man is Cosmos, right? Or that the book written about a man is cosmos. I tell people, I ask people, I play around a little bit. I do this in sermons sometimes. I say, what's the center of the universe? Where is the center of the universe? I ask them. You know what the answer is? The heart of man. Yeah. 
the center of the universe is the heart of man. Because it's in the heart of man that 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 the the connection between the divine and and the material, okay, meaning and matter, it can be manifested in the creation. And that's both metaphorically true, right? Um, it's true in this in, in t- with the type of spiritual physics. And it's true even for followers of Copernicus. And and here's what I mean. It doesn't matter what we see in space, what rotation a planet is taking. In that, in and of itself, it exists and does that. It matters that that is a type, a symbol of, right, a form of reality of what already exists in us. In other words, it's a fractal unity. What's happening out there, quote, in space is happening here. And the question is, is not really whether it's happening out there, which it is. It's that it's happening in relationship to the greater happening, which is the, the what you call the spiritual, the, the structure of reality, right? Am I making some sort of sense or? Yeah, yeah. Um... Because you wouldn't say it's not happening out there, that there isn't a cosmos, but the cosmos is one aspect of the cosmos within. Yes, and and here's the key point of that. Now, people will want to, they'll hear that, and they they want to start drawing diagrams, all right? And congruent diagrams, that's what, they're going, that's what they want to do. Okay, then we can understand everything. No, but that's not the point. The point is that, is that, the non-material, the meaning, manifests itself through matter, okay? Matter exists to manifest the meaning. I have to give Matthew Peschel kudos for giving me this language, to manifest the meaning, the meaning. But now think what man is. Man is both of, of the earth, okay, and and, and has within him the breath of God, which is, I'm going to start over. Okay, man doesn't possess this. Man doesn't possess this. When, 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 when Adam comes out of the depths of the, of the ground, okay, the stuff that was spoken into existence, okay, and the father said he, he actually, when, when, when the word, we know it's the word now, the second person of the Trinity, you know, did the breathing, but it was Trinitarian in its complete nature. He breathed into its nostrils, right? And man became a living soul. So man becomes a living soul. So he becomes the stuff of the earth, okay? That which was spoken into existence, Mm -hmm. but also with the soul created with the capacity to receive the things of God, all right? Which is, he becomes, in a sense, the, the... revealer of that meaning that's what he does because the meaning is the energies of god right and so so man becomes the speaker he becomes the speaker it's only man that has language right so so the logo speaks the primordial word which brings everything into existence and gives it its consistency in its life 
because of the power of God's word. It can never, his word can never diminish in power because there's no depletion in God, right? But now man, because he has the capacity to receive that energy of God, he's a maker of the meaning, a revealer of the meaning, right? What he does is he articulates that meaning within the creation. That's why Adam named the animals, okay? So after the fall now, after the fall, that word, he still has the power of that word, of that that, that creative prowess, okay? Um, but it's towards the redemption of the world, to bringing it back to what it was in Eden. And that's where, in my, my experience and what I do, that's where the healing comes in. Mm-hmm. And you really heal by the word, by the speaking. Wow. So healing is to been talking about this a lot lately healing is to remember to put back together all that is in reality but also all that we've lost and so it's a fulfillment it's becoming again what we once were and can be or would be or could be it's a redemption yeah it's bringing back too and so in that sense hmm when we become healed, all of creation is on its way to healing too, or at yes. least, <laughs> which I think it was. Yes. I forget. I believe it was Gwenon. It was a, I like a lot of the perennialist writers, but they were talking about the relationship between mankind and say a volcano might've been Philip Sherrard and that, in fact, the volcano does what it's not supposed to do in part because we do what we're not supposed to do. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. nuts. That's right. Nature, you know, upheavals in nature is nature itself trying to restore, its back, restore itself back to equilibrium. But why does it have to restore itself back to equilibrium? Because man is sinful. And those, those energies are chaotic. You know, those energies are man because man is wicked. And so it releases, it releases a lot of discordant energy that nature itself feels too. So, so, you know, the hurricane comes because it's got, the earth has got to be cleansed. That's That's the way it's spoken of in the old Testament and the new Testament. That is what happens. Wow. Again, it's, it's what's happening. It's as it should be in the word. It's cleansing the the earth. Yikes. You can't alter the structure of reality. You can't alter it. You can't. In the end, nature always wins. Or could you put it another way? You can only alter the structure. Let me put it this way. You can't alter the structure of reality, but the system we call earth can be altered, but only by a regeneration, a redemption, a remembering of that within ourselves so that we order this properly, then we order nature. I had a, I had a horrible situation in one of my parishes that somebody, except for the daughter, a daughter was killed by her father and then he committed suicide. The mother, and it was kind of a strange situation, but I had to deal with it. And I dealt with it and I, 
I came to the conclusion as I'm dealing with it, this was really an act of rank evil. It was. You could not explain it any other way. This was evil. And I saw this, this act, this act actually rippled all the way around the globe. Hmm. I saw, I said, this one act affected everybody in the world in some way or another. And I'm just saying I saw it. Okay. But it did. I know it. And I called it evil. When I had to give the sermon, I called it evil. I said, this is an act of evil. And, and I, what I noticed in, in calling it that and naming it as that gave people some kind of resolution, a way to deal with it. Right. Okay. And I, I could not sugarcoat it as psychological distress and this and that. I couldn't. This is evil. Take the life of another person like this in order to hurt the mother. It's, it's, it's fascinating because you, you, you see the modern world, the UN trying to move, for example, toward some sort of conversation about how we're all connected. And then, but there's consequences to that connection. <laughs> well, see, the opposite is also true. Treat someone well, kindly. Okay. I mean, authentically, not superficial, but authentically. That reverbs around the world, too. Yeah, that has its own spiritual physics. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so consequently, um, you know how you treat the waitress? How you treat people that that you might normally see as just like part of the background? Hmm. The waitress, the guy at the counter at 7-Eleven, right? People who, who kind of like are necessary for your own functioning. You know, then in lots of times we have a tendency not to see them. We just don't see them, right? But how you treat them and if you really see them and if you're kind to them, respectful of them, right? That changes the world. So, I've, you know, I mean, this is why I quit be, becoming, I used to be a culture warrior for a while, as you know, but I quit because nothing changes from the top down or the bottom. I mean, it, it affects things. I'm not saying it's neutral, but what really changes the world is really changed from the inside out. Yeah. Change yourself. Change yourself. That's that's the nature of reality. Yeah, and you know what? The scripture says that in the end, the Lord will conquer. And in the end, speaking of nature, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Gagi Marjos, holy smokes, Father Hans. He was tame today, too. I love that guy. Father Hans talking about the structure of reality. This is John here saying goodbye to you. Please check out these things. Our field workers, their written vlog, uh, reports, their video vlogs, their impresario projects, all that they're doing to just try to help people around the world, right, right to just realize their vision for something like the coolest life. We try to help folks right become become enzymes for change within their own communities that's our job we do it using two years of immersion we do it by starting this podcast we do it by asking for your donation we do it by opening a restaurant we do it by taking trips we do it by most of all sending people if you want to join we got two spots in mozambique in east africa you got to live hard eat local food take local transport but it's awesome I would do it if I wasn't old 
and fighting a belly. This is Watar. This is the end. I hope you had a great time listening to Father Hans. May your day be most lovely wherever you are. I'm in South Carolina, a place called Greenville, where you can find our restaurant. Come see it. Join a public supra. That's a crazy party that happens on Friday night. That's super fun. And it is a community builder. So come to Watar. What? Come to our restaurant. Talk to Watar people. Join us at First Things www.first-things.org Au revoir!